0: This is all the prelude to what I'm gonna talk about today, which is how your emotions actually create disease. Now, we all know a certain person who we call an airhead and they're like all over the place and they're confused and uh, they're easily uh, flustered and frustrated and they don't know where they're going and they forget where, where's my glasses and they say, I can't find my keys. Do you know where my keys are? And they're holding their keys in their hands. So we all know somebody like that. Then we know somebody who's like really, really angry. Those people are easy to spot. And then we know somebody who's always worried. And we know somebody who's always negative, always thinks the worst. So I'm picking examples of the worst. But all of us flip back and forth between all of those states. So when you're fearful uh, and you're a little kid, what do you do? You pee in your pants or you poo in your pants. And if you're an adult and you're afraid, you get anxious. And so anxiety affects your hamstrings. Your hamstrings tighten up. And if you're you're fearful, you kind of get stiff. Now, if you're a guy and you're angry, your chest gets stiff. If you're a girl and you're angry, your shoulders go up. So no matter what your particular emotional state is, you always end up with muscular contraction. And worry, let's not forget worry. When you're worried, it's something that you can't do anything about. You have no control over.
1: Hello, powerful people. My name is Edouard Gilles, personal development speaker and talk show host. And I wanna welcome you to this holistic experience called Ed Talks Daily Personal Development and Motivation. This podcast is all about growth in all aspects of your life. How do you solidify a great mindset that will lead to a healthy body, healthy relationships, and an in spirit? Well, join me on this journey to becoming the best version of ourselves. If you want a podcast that you can relate to, a podcast that will motivate and inspire you, all while educating you on ways to personally develop and grow as a being, Ed Talks Daily is for you. Find Ed Talks daily on your favorite podcast app, and be sure to leave your thoughts in the form of a review. Or tune in live every Monday at 12 p.m. by visiting FAURradio.com. All right, all right, all right. How's it going, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Ed Talk podcast. My name is Edward Giles. And I have the pleasure of being in the studio here with the one and only Dr. George Xavier Love, my personal mentor. As you know, I've probably referenced him about like a thousand different times on this podcast, right? Um, So I thought it'd be right to bring him consistently, since I'm literally sharing a lot of his wisdom and knowledge. So, as you know, today um, it's another day to talk about personal growth, personal development, um, uh, emotions, disease how all of these things correlate with each other, how so if you want to know how your emotions can possibly be holding you back, not only mentally or like mindset wise, uh, but physically, this is the show you should listen to. So, Dr. Love, why don't you give us a quick overview um, about where all of this um, great wisdom and knowledge came about and give us a quick overview of who you are, what you're all about.
0: Okay, who I am and what I'm all about,
1: yeah, okay, so
0: um, wow, that's a lot, all right, so uh, when I was ten years old, um I saw a giant picture book of uh Egypt, and there was a picture of the pyramids as a little kid sitting on a donkey, and I looked at that kid, and my brain went immediately into that ten year old kid. And I decided at 10 that I was Egyptian. I don't know how that came about, but I just, at 10 years old, I just knew that I was Egyptian. Um, Then later on, I discovered uh, Taoism and Buddhism and Hinduism, 12, 13, 14 years old. And then I was 16, I discovered uh, Rosicrucianism, and then I discovered... um, Uh, uh, Wow, my brain just went blank for a second. Uh, A New Model of the Universe by P.D. Spensky, And then I discovered uh, his teacher, George Gurdjieff, who they wrote a book called Meetings with Remarkable Men. And these were all uh, Eastern teachers, uh, mystics, sages, seers. uh, And so... When I was 16 years old, I was already way into all this philosophical, spiritual understanding of the East. So I'll skip over the whole Egyptian thing and then we'll get to meeting the Dalai Lama accidentally in the elevator at the UN. So uh, my uh, Tai Chi teacher, Dao Lu, he taught Tai Chi every Sunday in Central Park. He invited me to a class he was teaching at the UN, and I went to the UN and uh, got into the elevator, and there's a Dalai Lama with no uh, bodyguard. Now, in 1979, how many people know who the Dalai Lama is? Not a whole lot. But uh, I was stammering, and he said, uh, you have questions my son and I was like yeah I've got a lot of questions but right now my brain uh, I can't figure out how to uh, ask the right question so he said would you like to learn how to change three lifetimes of karma in 30 days and I was like yes so I got out my little pad and pencil We we didn't have cell phones back then so I had my little pad and pencil and he said be good, be kind, become passionate. And what I heard was become passionate. So for the next year, I was passionate about everything. And if I saw somebody smoking, I would stop them and I would say, do you realize that you're ruining the atmosphere? Do you realize you're poisoning other people? And I got very passionate about everything. And then I went to hear him speak And then I realized, he said, become compassionate. So compassion totally confused me. And I didn't understand what that meant. So then I went to see him backstage. And I said, do you remember meeting me in an elevator? He's like, yes. He says, what is your dream? And I said, my parents want me to be a doctor. And he says, oh, I'm traveling with my personal physician. Ah, uh, Yeshi and you should go meet him. So I go meet Yeshi Dondan. And Dr. Dondan had five people with incurable cancer, and literally within three weeks, it cured their cancer. So I was like, okay, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I became a student of Dr. Yeshi Dondan, and I studied with him for a whole year. I studied Tibetan medicine. For a whole year and then he had to go back to uh, Dharamsala which is the refugee community in India so then we're like okay what are we going to do now and then I heard that there was uh, somebody d- teaching uh, acupuncture in Canada so I fly to Canada I meet uh, Oscar Wexu, and I become a student of Oscar Wexu, and I learn acupuncture and then um, Uh, Mike Smith came to the graduation he said well if you're ever in New York come look me up so of course six months later I go to New York I look up Mike Smith who's running the only hospital-based acupuncture program in the country uh, at Lincoln Hospital in the South Bronx and he said well you know there's a six-month waiting list I said okay no problem and we keep talking and then after 30 minutes he says you know what can you start next week and I'm like, what did I say? What, what, what did I say? So now I'm working at Lincoln Hospital in the Bronx, and we have 60 lounge chairs in a, in a room, and basically we're treat, treating heroin addicts with five points in the ear. Now, Mike Smith was a psychiatrist. Now, this is the interesting thing. Psychiatry and acupuncture. Hmm. That's pretty fascinating to me. So I picked his brain about mental illness, and um, uh, Terry Clifford wrote a book called Tibetan Psychiatry. So I went to uh, Naropa Institute to study uh, Tibetan psychiatry. So I'm doing Chinese medicine psychiatry, Tibetan medicine psychiatry. So this is all the prelude to what I'm going to talk about today which is how your emotions actually create disease. Now, we all know a certain person who we call an airhead, and they're like all over the place, and they're confused, and uh, they're easily uh, flustered and frustrated, and they don't know where they're going, and they forget where, where's my glasses, and they say, I can't find my keys. Do you know where my keys are? And. They're holding their keys in their hands. So we all know somebody like that. Then we know somebody who's like really, really angry. Those people are easy to spot. And then we know somebody who's always worried. And we know somebody who's always negative, always thinks the worst. So I'm picking examples of the worst. But all of us flip back and forth between all of those states. So when you're fearful uh, and you're a little kid, What do you do? You pee in your pants or you poo in your pants. And if you're an adult and you're afraid, you get anxious. And so anxiety affects your hamstrings. Your hamstrings tighten up. And if you're you're fearful, you kind of get stiff. Now, if you're a guy and you're angry, your chest gets stiff. If you're a girl and you're angry, your shoulders go up. So, no matter what your particular emotional state is, you always end up with muscular contraction. And worry, let's not forget worry. When you're worried, it's something that you can't do anything about. You have no control over it. So, when you're worried, you tighten your abdominal muscles. So, fear, anger, worry, fear, anger, worry, fear, anger, worry. So, you kind of flip back and forth between those different emotional states so Uh, i'm stressed i'm angry i'm fearful i'm worried and so we flip back and forth between all these different emotional states so when the muscles contract the blood doesn't flow the oxygen doesn't flow the nutrients don't flow and then nerves get starved and nerves react causing stiffness and pain and then after a couple of years organs get starved and then organs break down and then 10-15 years later you actually get sick so it's kind of a downward spiral for you to go from one emotional state to sickness so it's it's a long-term Process, So we can't blame anybody for this because it's our reactivity. Now, there's several holistic practices that teach you how to act and not react. So one of the obvious ones is meditation. So if you learn to meditate, then you learn to not react. Okay. And I won't go on to all the others, but they exist. I'm sure you've heard of them before. So we want to not react now the easiest way to not react is to take a deep breath so what happens when you breathe in well obviously the lungs Mm -hmm. fill with air what happens to the oxygenated blood that's in your lungs when you breathe in well that goes out what happens secondarily when you take a deep breath well the lungs fill up and push in on the heart so the heart feels comforted. So when the heart feels comforted, then what else happens? The heart rate slows down. Mm-hmm. And then when the lungs fill with air, they push down on the adrenals. Where are the adrenals? They're on top of the kidney. Where's the kidney? Directly underneath the lungs. So when you take that deep breath, you push in on the adrenals, which makes the adrenals feel comfort it and so what do the adrenals do they secrete adrenaline and noradrenaline which we call the fight or flight so we either want to run away or we want to turn and fight so when you take that deep breath slows the heart slows the respiration it calms and relaxes the nervous system so then you make a choice to not
1: react all right so let me jump in in here. Please. Um, jump you know in. we are having a a, a conversation. So reaction mm-hmm. like is it more important to act on our emotions or react and what's the difference? Okay. It's important to feel your emotions.
2: Mhm.
0: What does it mean to feel your emotions? You tell me what it means to feel your emotions. When you're angry, mm-hmm. Anger prevents you from being taken advantage of that's an action Right. fear prevents you from being killed That's an action Worry spurs you to take action because worry says I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do So worry spurs you to Action that's an action, <laughs> but you can't stay worried. You can't stay fearful and you can't stay angry. So you can't wake up every morning angry, and then the next
1: day angry, and the next day angry, and the next day angry. How, how about grief? Because I know a lot of people, like, they're alone, or like, or, like, they lost somebody in their lives, or they have somebody going through something. How do you deal with grief? Okay, grief, grief is very interesting. Yeah,
0: Grief is a sense of loss. Okay. So I lost my dog. I lost my job. It, grief is not just limited to my mother died, my father died. Right. Okay. It's an actual sense of loss. So you had a car accident, you didn't have car insurance. Now you're riding the bus, hmm. and every day
1: <laughs> you're so grieving can we the loss can we grieve car. like so that does that mean that we could like grieve the loss of a job, grieve the loss of like a scholarship? So we can be in a lot of Uh, grieving moments throughout our entire lives because we've um, formed our reactions to go that deep, to to associate um, that much emotions um, between things and my well-being. So this association has a lot to do with whether you get in the grief states. Because for some people, like, yeah, I lost my car. I have to get on the bus. It's like shoulder shrug. No biggie. You know, they don't get into a grief state. Okay. Per se. It's, it's more like it a quick sense of It depends on your
0: level of attachment. Mm. So one of the first thing you learn in Buddhism is non-attachment. Non-attachment. Because if you're attached to something and you lose it, you go into grief. Oh,
1: okay. So okay. Hmm. so what, what can we f- attach ourselves to that, that can give us more of the positive emotions rather than... Uh, the ones that kind of like damp our hearts and stuff like that. Okay, so
0: as a mother, I'm attached to my kids' well-being. Mm-hmm. So what, is that, what does that feel like for mom? Well, they got to go to the better schools. Right. And then they got to get good grades. And then they got to meet the right people. And then they got to marry the right people. So as a mother... I want the best for my kid and I'm attached to that outcome. As a father, I want the best for my son and I wanna make enough money to make my son proud of me, to make my wife proud of me, okay? So as a father, I have attachments to how my family views me, okay? Mm -hmm. So parents have attachments just because they're parents. Oh, okay. And kids have attachments because they want to be valued by the parents.
1: I want my mother to be proud of me. I want my father to be proud of me. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, let's 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 talk about that. Like emotion how does like the emotions you experience in your childhood uh, then affects you right now without you knowing you know something called a subconscious mind so you, you you may be carrying out your whole life based on like your earlier experiences in your adolescence that um, some is people associate trauma correct. and all of that with that how does how does okay, those we, past emotions come back and haunt us <laughs>
0: okay so um let's suppose uh You grew in a family, two or three kids, Mm -hmm. and you did something, and the family ridiculed you for that one thing that you did, and then every year, every two or three years, remember when you did blah, 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 and you were so silly, ha, 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 and you're like, I'm past that. I'm not that from three years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. I'm this now. Why do you keep bringing that up? Well... I don't wanna deal with you anymore. So now I distance myself from my brothers and sisters because they keep wanting to bring up the past and make me feel small. Okay? Yeah. So there's a lot of people who become perfectionist and a lot of people who become overachievers because when they were younger, they were ridiculed or they were made to feel small. So now I'm gonna overachieve because when I was younger, I was ridiculed for not achieving. Mm -hmm. That's childhood programming, okay? Now, um, parents have a tendency to compare, oh, you're not as smart as your brother. You're not as uh, strong as your sister. Your sister's stronger than you are. Yeah. Okay, and when you do those comparisons, the parents aren't really thinking about how the children are going to receive it. So, either, either that motivates the child to be stronger, or study harder to become smarter, or they give up completely. And so, oh, I'm never going to be smart. So, I'm not even going to try. Mm-hmm. And then, you've heard people say, oh, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Yeah. And so, we make these little snide Comments about people, not realizing that that's programming.
1: Right. So um, Les Brown says, like, someone' opinion of you never should become your reality. That is true. Do you, I think a lot of people realities are are um, becoming are a product of opinions over time. Of
0: people that they think
1: yeah. care about
0: them. Right. Because people who don't care about you, you don't really care about their opinion. But it's your family and friends' opinion that belittle you and make you small. Mm.
1: I just made a redundancy. I mean, let me tell you about a personal like a personal thing I experienced is like when you call someone you like you really love, but every time you call them you get the response so you never call me. So like You feel every time you call them, it's a guilt trip. Like, ah, it's like every time you call them, you feel like. So you avoid calling them subconsciously just so you don't experience the guilt trip. And that is deteriorating the same relationship that you were trying to, like, both fix. So, like, how, like, what should we do in being understanding to other people, like, being emotional? Because a lot of understanding, a lot of this has to do with emotional intelligence. That's correct. So let's talk about that. What is emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence is
0: understanding how you react. Hmm. And if you understand how you react, that gives you some insight into how other people react. Okay. Now, human beings by nature are judgmental. Well, that was stupid. Yeah. Why do you do that? He wasn't thinking. But we never turn that around and examine our own behavior. So we're highly critical of other people's actions, not ever critical of our own actions. Okay? So if somebody doesn't call you back, then you're like, well, they didn't call me back. They must not care. But they never look at all the people that they didn't call back.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like really you got to put yourself in someone else's shoes exactly. to understand it. So you I feel like this is emotional intelligence, right? Right. wearing someone else's shoes. And also understanding that you yourself, you can be barefoot at times in your life. You know how like you see somebody homeless walking around and they're like barefoot, You walk in their shoes understanding that you can be in that situation. So that comes with compassion and, like, love for other people, Um, which I find pretty interesting that 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 all inter correlates. So we have emotional intelligence and we have self-love. So a lot of self-destructive behaviors that you may have, like, within your health, within, like, uh, the things you do in your relationships mm-hmm. have to do with the way you see yourself. So talk about talk a little about self-love. What is self-love and self-care? Okay, so when you're
0: a child from birth to about four years old, your parents represent God. They're all-seeing, all-knowing, yep. uh, all-powerful. They change your diapers, they feed you, they make you warm, they tuck you in at night, they keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere between four and five, you begin to separate yourself and like, I'm not you, I'm me. Now, most parents are like, no, stop, quit, don't, put that down, no, stop, quit, sit down, put that down. And so all the kid hears is no, 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 no. So somewhere, three, four, five, then the kid is like, no, 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 to the parent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't want to. The road is just switched on them, <laughs> And so they separate themselves. They don't see themselves as one unit anymore. And then the mother says, I don't know what's got into you. You're different now. <laughs> yeah. And then they want to spank or punish in some kind of way because they're trying to mold positive behavior. Now, the motivation is the safety of the child, supposedly. But typically, the motivation is the comfort of the mother. (laughs) So, stop, quit, don't, sit down, don't make noise, don't do this, don't, 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 don't. And then the kid grows up hearing don't, and then what does it express? It expresses what it hears.
1: And you only go into a society to hear that they say you hear no a lot of times. I don't even remember the exact number. You hear no a million times, and you hear yes maybe 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so does hearing no make us have a, I guess, well, did you finish your, your train of thought? It's a negative it's frame. A, it's a negative frame.
0: Okay. Now, my sister taught third grade for 37 years. So we're talking seven, eight, nine-year-olds in the third grade. So instead of saying no, my sister would say, oh look, oh look at that, oh here, let me give you this and you give me that. So I'm going to give you a ball and you're going to give me the scissors. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Okay, oh Johnny's tearing the book, oh Johnny here's some construction paper. I'm going to trade you the construction paper for the book. You want to tear the paper? That's fine. Just don't tear the book. So we distract and we find a way to create safety without using the word no. Mm. And that's some basic psychology that any wise parent would figure out, but not all parents are wise. So I had a patient whose uh, mother was very high-strung, so she used to put uh, drugs in the baby's food so the baby would sleep at night. So she could sleep at night. Right. And so uh, so the baby, that, and we're talking less than a year old, is on barbiturates. On barbiturates! So this mother drugged her own daughter. Wow, and then when the daughter was had like a psychotic episode, and they did a blood test, and they found out that the kid was on drugs, and of course she's a single mom, and the dad was in jail, so there was nobody else, uh, and this was before they started taking kids away, so they so they kept giving her back to the mom, so yeah, it, it gets worse and worse and worse. So when you have an unbalanced parent, then you're going to have a damaged child. And that damaged child goes on to then try to create relationships and get pregnant and have babies based upon their experience. So all you know as a wife is what you watched your mother do with your father. Hmm. And all you know as a mother is the way your mother treated you because all that behavior is now imprinted on you. So if you're a damaged child, how can you be a good mother? Hmm. It's really, really difficult. And so that's what we call the generational curse. So you'll see, well, I see three generations of mother, daughter, granddaughter of mistreatment and, and verbal abuse and uh, psychological abuse from um, uh, from uh, passed down from generation to generation so what I try to do is break the generational curse teach the latest generation to observe the mother and the grandmother and say do you want to be the one to break it Okay. And I mean, I could tell you some really bad horror stories where the the grandfather abused the mother and then the mother allowed the grandfather to, to sexually abuse the granddaughter. And then when the granddaughter went to the mother and say, Grandpa sexually abused me. She's like, so what? He abused me, too. And she said, Mom, you let him do that? She's like, well, it happened to me. So it should happen to you. That kind of stuff is, is mental illness and I, I happen to see that more and more today and it's 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 really sickening so that's why I want to address this because if you know that you're damaged then you have to seek help outside of drugs outside of seconal and barbitol and uh, barbiturates and whatever drugs that are out there well butrin and whatnot so there is a way that we teach people how to deal with psychological abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse without using
1: drugs. Hmm. And Let, let's go back a little bit. Okay. I want to talk specifically about general, generational curses. All right. Um, so let's talk about our ancestral DNA. Okay. How does our ancestry affect who we are now? And then let's go into how the whole concept of people being cursed from generations to generations. I think that's something that we don't talk about. Right. So give us an overview about that. Okay. The sins of the father
0: are visited upon the children even unto the third and fourth generation. Hmm. The sins of the father are visited upon the children even unto the third and fourth generation. So that's that's a generational Curse. So that's behavior, that's environment. Now, what does DNA have to do with it? Okay, so we have dominant and submissive personalities, we have um, aggressive and we have passive personalities. That goes throughout all members of the animal kingdom birds, primates. Even reptiles have dominant and submissive and aggressive and passive tendencies. So it's not uniquely human to be that. So, what we want to be aware is um, so, from a generational standpoint, right? So, you have two parents Mm -hmm. and you have four grandparents. So, that's six. Then you have eight. Uh, great-grandparents so 6 and 8 is 14 and then you have 16 great-grandparents so 16 and 14 is 30 so you have 30 stations on your radio so you could dial in to any one of those 30 ancestors because each ancestor has a frequency okay so you can turn the dial and you can tune in to whatever frequency of your ancestors, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, okay? So that's four generations. Now, one was a bank robber, one was a drug addict, one was an alcoholic, one was a bank president, one was a university professor, uh, one imported stuff, one was a stevedore, and one was enslaved. Mm -hmm. And one was Native American. So you've got 30 ancestors, and they're all different. They're not all the same. Right. So some are French, some are German, some are Spanish, some are Dutch, some are Portuguese, some are African, and some are Native American. So you're a mix of all these different things. So how do you know which one you are so, you, ha- you have a DNA frequency, and then you have a spirit frequency, okay? So, for example, you have a German uh, who goes to Bolivia, and uh, he's a, uh, a, uh, a Christian missionary. So, he marries a Bolivian woman, and he has two kids, and then those two kids marry Bolivian women. So now the grandchildren are all Bolivian, but they have one German grandparent. Just one. Okay. Now, one of the grandchildren pops out blonde hair and blue eyes and high cheekbones and very tall. And the other grandkids are all short and dark with thick black hair. (laughs) So it's clear which one grandparent I mean, uh, which grandchild DNA? Okay, that's clear. But which one was the spirit line to grandpa? Could have been one of the other grandkids. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Now, one of the other grandparents could have been a shaman or a curandero Mm -hmm. or a... uh, 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 What's the word? Um, Ayahuasca... Ceremonial leader, you know. So those grandkids could have vibrated spiritually to any one of the grandparents, but the DNA of that one we know was the German grandpa. So it doesn't necessarily follow that the DNA is the spirit line, and that's where the worship of the ancestors comes from. All right. So we get to pick and choose which ancestor we want to vibrate to. So let's say you're the passive one and one of your ancestors was the aggressive one. Okay. So you can worship or pray to or connect to that aggressive ancestor because that's what you need in this life to balance out your passivity.
1: I mean, but so how does th- so how does that have to do with our like anything we say generational curses? What is how does that relate? Well, to I was
0: trying to put it in positive terms. Oh, but okay. if you want to look at it in negative. Oh, so terms, so this
1: oh so there's a pos so you you right now you're saying that this is the positive side. Yeah, of you your the ancestor you want to positively. Identify. What if? What if you you don't really? What what if you don't don't really want to do all of that? And you just, I'm just trying to overcome these, these ties I've had in the past. How do you? How do we just? How can we overcome these ties? Then you have to isolate yourself for five years. Hmm. So isolation. So the recipe to like stopping a generational curse. What if it's you having a curse in your own life of constant emotional um, isolation? uh, So isolation.
0: So, so, the Tibetans, they go up in a cave, uh, uh, up in the mountains for five years. In India, they go into the forest and build a little bamboo cabin and isolate them for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, in Central and South America, they're uh, going a vision quest and isolate themselves. In Australia, they'll walk the outback. Okay. Okay. So different cultures produce different ways of creating isolation to break those attachments that cause us pain and suffering.
1: Hm. Okay. So, so that's that's when they say um when you feel like life is so much and like you you just need to come home. Um which in in that term when I read it in the book it was like more of like taking a breath, being conscious um you know breathing yeah. how does how come how can breathing meditation and qigong which is a mixture of all of that how can that help us come back home or per se isolate okay and, you know refresh our lives how do we how the can we
0: environment that? that made you sick is not the environment that can make you well mm. all right so let's use a real world example okay, okay. so i'm a drug addict I go to rehab for 30 days. Then I go to a halfway house for 90 days. And then I go right back home to where I started, and I hang out with all my friends again who are using drugs. Okay. Guess what? I'm going to go back to using drugs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So whatever my drug of choice is, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, or food, if I'm a sugar addict, Mm-hmm. Okay and I start going to all the dessert places then I'm going to fall right back into those habit. habits. Yeah. So I have to isolate myself. I have to change that environment. Mm-hmm. I
1: have to live alone. So in isolating yourself is there such a is there like a practice you should do um what what is the process of rejuvenation? Okay. So now when you get
0: isolated now you can do The meditation and the breathing and the Qigong. And that will sustain you. That will fill you up. That will make your body filled with light. Okay? And that's that's the only way we can do that. All right? Now, can you do that in the face of negative environment? Yeah, only if you're really dedicated. And if you're really that dedicated, then you wouldn't have gotten off the path to start with. OK, so we're basically we're talking about self-discipline. Mm-hmm. You join the military, you learn discipline, but that discipline is imposed upon you as opposed to self-discipline. Mm-hmm. OK, now, do you like getting up early in the morning? Uh, yeah, I do, but
1: not all the time.
0: Really? <laughs> not really. You do it because you are dedicated, but you don't enjoy getting up early. Most people don't enjoy getting up early, but if you dedicate yourself to doing it, at some point, you will enjoy it, okay? So I went to bed at 10.30 last night. I woke up at 3.03 this morning, and then I tried to go back to sleep, and at 3.20, Spirit said, get up and write this down. I started writing, and so from 3.30 to 6.30, I wrote. I got so much out of my head, to paper, I'm really proud of myself for writing for three hours, mm-hmm. and then I started my day. So, if you dedicate yourself and you have the and you create the discipline, then the benefits will come. So, early to bed, early to rise makes a man or woman healthy, wealthy, and wise. So that's our objective: is to create discipline, and that's where self love comes into play. So as a parent, you want your kid to go to bed at a certain time. You want your kid to wake up at a certain time. You want to feed your kid at certain times. So you want to create a regimen so you can raise a healthy and well-balanced and adjusted child. Assuming you know how to do that. Right. That's what you want to do. Now, what if you didn't have that for yourself as a child then how do you create that for yourself that means you have to become your own parent and that is what is self-love is you have to become your own parent so that's what I teach people how to do is self-love is parenting skills so that means you have to put yourself to bed you have to get yourself up you have to make the right food choices you have to have time to meditate, you have to fi- find time to exercise, okay? So, we were at the beach this morning, 7.30, sunrise Qigong, you know?
1: So, um, yeah, Sun- yeah, sunrise Qigong, it, I think it's amazing. Everyone needs to experience that once in a while. Right. Yeah. Um, there was something you said, I know, like, I didn't catch it right away, but I caught it. About the family that, yes, self care, self love is being your parent, right? Mm. Becoming your own parent, but not telling yourself no, 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 you're not good enough, but saying yes, right? Exactly. So yes, should self care be like the mo <laughs> You should be the model, pa- the parent you wanted as a kid, or at least the parent. Um, the the ideal parent that would help you in your personal growth and handling your emotions right everything you want you wish your parents to do for you you should do for yourself exactly that's the definition of self-love exactly hmm. okay so you know how when you don't like yourself and you think about suicide like uh... Like, uh I, might, I should kill myself or something like you just that random thought just come in your head you know I know I'm saying it lightly but it's not um, does n- saying that to yourself, not in that extreme, but over time, do you slowly kill yourself with just thoughts of, um, that I'm like self-destructive thoughts, does that affect our blood flow or our physiology over okay. time? If you just think negative, all of us have a death urge, You're Right. all of us have
0: unreasonable expectations of success and wealth. All of us are excessively demanding of other people and situations and circumstances. All right. So when you have unreasonable demands and unexpressed desires, then you are deliberately uh, self-destructive And then you set yourself up for the death urge. I can't get what I want. I might as well not live. Hmm. I've tried so hard for so long and it's not working. I might as well just kill myself. So we have these random thoughts. 99.99% of people are never going to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. But those those little kill myself, it, it pops in every now and then. So when I was 15 years old, I swallowed yeah. uh, a bottle of aspirin. A and, bottle? Uh, I called my best friend, and he came over to my house, and he called his parents, and his parents took me to the hospital. My parents weren't at home. And so uh, when his parents called my parents and said, oh, your son swallowed a bottle of aspirin, we had to take him to the hospital. My parents were like, oh, no, he didn't. We, we would have known that. And his father looked at him and was like, you don't know your own kid. And my father's like, yeah, of course we know our own kid. He would have never done that. We wouldn't raise a child like that. Yeah. And that's why I did it because my parents didn't know who I was. So I felt no value. I didn't feel that my parents valued me. And that's why I wanted to kill myself. Well, being in the hospital and get my stomach pumped That did something to my head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will never commit suicide. (laughs) I hate throwing up so much (laughs) because of having my stomach pumped. If I eat something bad, I'm going to force it down. I'm never going to throw up, which means I'm never going to eat anything that's going to make me throw up. I'm never going to eat bad stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was really traumatic for me at 15. And it made me want to live so much. So I, I, it, it flipped me from being an introvert to being an extrovert. And to make sure people know what I want out of the situation. Okay? Because like I said, unexpressed desires. I didn't express myself to my parents. Why? Because they tried to suppress me. When we want to hear from you, we'll rattle your cage. Children should be seen and not heard. Sit down and be quiet. Shut up and go to your room. So I heard all these negative messages from my parents. Right Now, both my parents were school teachers. They loved me. I know they adored me. I didn't feel it. <laughs> I didn't feel it. But I know as an adult, when I got a chance to tell them what I felt as a kid, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. We never thought that. We never did that. And I'm like, well, there's a big disconnect between your awareness and my awareness as a kid. So I was able, by the time I was 40, I was able to make peace with it and have a healthy relationship with my parents. But a lot of people never make peace with it. They never talk it out. They never talk about their childhood traumas and how their parents triggered it and what they could do differently, okay? Hmm. So, I wanted that balance, and if I didn't actively seek it out, it just, it wouldn't have happened organically, hmm. okay? Now, there's some people, they talk about everything, yeah, and there's other people, talk about nothing. So, it depends on the family you grow up in. Exactly. Okay? So, I had one patient, she grew up in a family of talkers and yellers, and so there was like six or seven kids and they're all yelling over top of each other because they all want the parents to hear them. So she marries a guy who's a non-talker. And he just sat there and she could talk, 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 all day long. And then one day after 16 years, he said, I think I want a divorce. she's like why what's wrong talk to me talk to me and he's like well you haven't been listening for 16 years and i'm tired of listening to you and you're not listening to me (laughs) so then she was devastated because he moved out and the kids wanted to be with dad they didn't want to be with mom Hmm. and so she was devastated and that's how she got to be my patient. So I was able to create a balance for her that after a year, she was able to get her son to interact with her and then eventually her daughter. And now she has a healthy relationship with both her kids. But it was hard. If, if she had gone to a psychiatrist, she'd have ended up on drugs and she would have never been able to make that uh, relationship with her kids work. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to write a book about her experiences, and now she travels the country now, and uh we're still friends to this day. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so I've made a difference in a lot of people's lives. Um, I had another woman um who came to me because she had two sons um she and her she and her husband were uh kosher butchers and after 25 30 years of running a a coach or butcher shop they became new age holistic people and they flipped the butcher shop into a holistic center and so they uh converted it to a bookstore and they started doing reiki and they had music chimes and they had meditation classes and tarot readings and they were just a beautiful wonderful couple and everybody loved them but her two sons who were orthodox thought their mom and pop had gone crazy lost their minds and were the spawn of the devil and so they shut off the the two sons shut off the relationship with their parents And wouldn't let them see the grandkids and so uh, the parents were in Brooklyn and the grandkids were in Vegas so she said I need to recreate this relationship with my kids because it's eating me up inside she had lost 30 pounds she wasn't eating she wasn't sleeping so I said how's your relationship with your mother she says oh me and my mother we don't talk I said, okay, so before we repair your relationship with your kids, let's repair your relationship with your mother. Oh, I'm not calling her. "Uh, You have to call your mother. No, I don't have to call her. Yeah, you got to call your mother. So I convinced the husband to give me the phone number. I called the mom there. I spoke to the grandmother and then I gave the phone to my patient the grandmother was so happy to hear from her daughter and so she said I've been meaning to call you I've been horrible the grandmother admitted that she was horrible to her own daughter and she said I was really angry at you for this 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 and this and I decided to forgive you and the day after I forgave you in my mind you called me on the phone And that rekindled the relationship with her mother. Two days later, guess what happened? One of the sons called and said, Okay, we're going to send the kids to you for two weeks, but don't tell them anything about, you know, your woo-woo new age stuff. And make sure they do all their uh, Shabbat prayers and whatnot. And she said, I'm happy to do that. I'm, I'm just thrilled that you reached out to me. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I talked to Grandma, and Grandma said she forgave you. So then I thought, yeah, maybe I should forgive you too.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so that's a generational curse that was healed At my intervention, it would not have happened organically if I hadn't forced her to make the call.
1: Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So a lot of times it starts with us, like healing our immediate relationships or um, before we can expect another relationship to be healed Um, as far as. okay, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that. You got to start with your family first. You have to, because that's who you are. You're a product of that. Yeah. So if that's not right, then every other relationship is out of balance. Exactly.
0: So you have to heal your relationship with your parents. Then you can heal your relationship with your kids. Mm. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. If you're blaming your parents for whatever it was, then your kids are blaming you too. Right. right. So there's lots of blame to go around. There's lots of guilt and there's lots of shame, Mm -hmm. shame, blame, guilt, shame, blame, guilt, shame, blame, guilt.
1: Does do you think those emotions magnify after the death of said family members without resolve? Absolutely. Then it starts. It comes back to haunt the person whenever to the initiative to haunt it. And, and, And because you feel guilty yourself. You feel guilty because you didn't repair the
0: relationship. Before it was too late. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So we've all done stupid things as kids. We've all said stupid things as kids. And we don't realize how hurtful that is to our parents. Yeah, we think they're like super strong. Yeah, Yeah. (sighs) good. Like, I could say F you and (laughs) you're the worst mother ever. You know, we think that that They should be able to deal with that, yeah. And they're well, like, he really thinks I'm a bad mom. After all, of what I did for him. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, you and he, I think it's hard cut because it's like if a str- well if a stranger cuts you, it's still a cut. Like, um, but if you're, but they don't know you and you're not
2: attached,
0: you expect them. To their opinion. Mm. Okay, but the people you care about, like, I had a bunch of girl cousins, and they used to tell me I was ugly. And like, oh,
1: you're the ugly one in the family. Mm. Now I'm the only boy. Well, we all we got you on the radio, so I'm just piggybacking on your joke. Never mind.
0: So, um, yeah, we are on the radio. <laughs> so, uh, so I had a complex. I thought I was ugly till yeah. I was about twenty five, twenty six years old, mm-hmm. and that's a long time to to have self. Self, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. It creates issues and complexes. you know um, I used to be 30, 40 pounds overweight, right, and um, I worked on Wall Street, and I had a 44 waist, I wore a 46 jacket, wore seven size 11 shoe. I weighed 240 pounds. and I'd walk through the airport and people would say, "Oh, there's Franco Harris." So Franco Harris was a running back for the Steelers. And I'm like, where? Where's Franco Harris? And like, no, they don't think I'm a football player. But I had, I was kind of a barrel chested and I didn't have a, I didn't have a positive sense of self. So um, I really did not have a positive sense of self. So then I told my friends, I think I need to lose weight. And they're like, no, you're fine, you're fine. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, no, I'm not fine. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. So on my own, I started doing 50 sit ups a day. And then I got to 100 sit ups a day. And then I got to 200 sit ups a day. And over six months, I lost 45 pounds. In six months, just from doing exercise. Running, biking, and swimming. Pretty good. Run, bike, swim. And do you know what they said? You must have cancer. That's a good thing AIDS wasn't around then, because then they would accuse me of having AIDS. Wow. And I lost 45 pounds. My head got really small, because I used to have a fat face. Mm -hmm. So my face shrunk. My shoe size shrunk. So I went from a, a 44 waist... To a 38 waist. I went from a, a 44 jacket to a 38 jacket. So I slimmed down con- considerably. I wasn't fat, fat. I wasn't obese, but I didn't like myself. You're a big bone. Uh, oh, okay, if you want to say that. So, and instead of saying, wow, you look really great, you yeah. look slim and trim, my family is like, you lost too much weight. You need to gain, you need to eat some more. You look like you're sick. <laughs> mm. That's the f- feedback I got. There's lack, 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 and so you lack, you lack. So if, if I was fragile, yeah. I would have gained all the weight back. I'd have gained it all back immediately because I didn't get positive feedback from the weight loss. Wow. That was hard. But I had learned self-sufficiency and I'd learned self-discipline and I had a good sense of self by that time so what other people said didn't uh, people that I cared about didn't affect me as much people I don't care about I don't care about Mm -hmm. say what you want okay? in fact when people gave me compliments I'm like what do you want (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even trust compliments so we have, we, have to, we have to find that balance point in our lives so we, where we feel safe and secure, and this is where Qigong comes into play. Qigong gives you that safety, that security, and that confidence, and you get one sense of confidence with stability and balance the way you walk and the way you run up the stairs and the way you open doors and the way you lift things. And that sense of confidence then builds another confidence and then another confidence, another confidence until you have confidence permeating all levels of your awareness, Mm. okay? So um, one of my patients told me that we're constantly vacillating between uh, overconfidence and insecurity and we call that bipolar okay. overconfidence oh, okay. overconfidence and insecurity so we're vacillating he said the average person is constantly vacillating back and forth
1: between overconfidence like, and I'm, So you're basically saying oh I'm I'm, I'm better than everyone uh, I'm suck I'm worse I'm like the better, I'm like horrible so so let's
0: say your thing is
1: computers yeah so you're
0: overconfident in computers because you know you're good at computers But then, photography, oh, I suck at photography. Mm -hmm. So I'm good at this, I suck at that. I'm good at this, I suck at that. So you're only really good at two or three things, and you suck at like
1: 97,000 things. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So the um, incompetence um, affects you more, pretty much, because there's more of it. There's more of it. Right. Right. And then you,
0: you self-censor. And when you self-censor, you stop talking, you shut down, I don't belong here, they don't understand me, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what to say, and then you shut everything down. Yeah. Okay? So then then when you shut down, people are like, well, Ed, why aren't you talking? Don't you have anything to add to this conversation? Mm-hmm.
1: We're closer to the mic. <laughs> Yes, and
0: so when you say that, uh, when you hear that, don't you have anything to add to this conversation? Then you're like, uh, I don't know,
1: I don't yeah. know what to say. Yeah. Sometimes though, you just me. I'm I'm like, I understand the law of detachment. My body even does it. I do it automatically. Like sometimes when I need to just get away from people, I just I just do it because like I know I need to do it. Um, but. I guess in those times you can lose a lot of the relationships that you have because people people don't usually have an understanding they just um sometimes because they don't know what you, what you, what's happening with you right mm. so they're often like oh he's just or like I don't know he's just you're just not going to hit him up or whatever but in reality sometimes you need that space so um you was, you said that to make a change, you need awareness, then an intervention, then action, then self-discipline to carry out the action. So, I, I have an acronym.
0: Yeah. Awareness, Connection, Elevation. Mm. A-C-E. Okay. Ace that. Mm-hmm. And then I talk about the spiritual practice of awareness, connection, and elevation. S-P-A-C-E. That's okay. Space. And then, in order to do that, I use Qi Gong. So it's the Qi Gong space. Mm-hmm. So Qi Gong is your spiritual practice for awareness, connection, and elevation. Okay? Then another one of my sayings is your emotional operating system can transform to unconditional love and gratitude. Your emotional operating system, which could be fear-based, could be lack-based, it could be anger-based, and you can transform that to unconditional love and gratitude. And that's a whole weekend seminar to break those down to those pieces, Hmm. okay? So your chip, which is your childhood program, plus your app which is your attitude, perspective, and perception, equals your emotional operating system. So your chip plus your app equals your OS, okay? Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about childhood programming this whole time, Yeah. but currently, we have an attitude, we have a perspective, I'm a man, I'm a boss, I'm a father, okay? um i'm a religion i'm a color i'm a culture you know so so we add these perspectives and we have a perception so we perceive the world a certain way which may not be the case but we have that perception so our attitude perspective and perception equals our operating system okay so you may have uh, the attitude that you're superior, you may have the perspective that you're in an economic uh, advantage, and then you may have the perception that everyone is beneath you, and that puts you in an uh, an operating system that's uh, not so good. Might be considered uh, racist or supremacist or elitist. And then again, you could have an attitude that you don't belong, you could have a perspective that your economic prospects are limited, and you could have a perception that you have no value to the society that you live in. And then that then becomes your operating system. So right. your chipless your app equals your operating system. So then you're going to tear yourself down. You're going to self-censor. You're going to play yourself down. You're never going to step into your power. You're never
1: going to step mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sometimes you got to upgrade that. So that's my programs. job is
0: to alter your attitude, shift your perspective, and clarify your perception.
1: Mm-hmm. So how how can, like, what do you have going on that our listeners can, can use for their benefit to start that shifting, that reprogramming, that up-leveling of their operating system? Tell us about some of the online products you have. Oh, wow. Well, first we have to start with breathing and meditation. Okay. And
0: then we have to talk about um, abandonment, rejection, and betrayal. And then we have to talk about... Um, uh, un, uh, uh, unreasonable demands, mm-hmm. unexpressed desires, and needing to look good or be right. And then we have to look at craving power, craving possessions, and craving pleasure. And then we have to look at craving sensation. Like, uh, I have 20 CDs. I have a friend that has 20,000 CDs. I've got 30 DVDs. I've got a friend that's got 2,000 DVDs, Mm -hmm. okay? So my friends are like overboard with that. Uh, I have five bottles of aromatherapy. I know somebody who's got 40 bottles of aromatherapy, okay? So we can be so into sensational things, that we can be overwhelming, and that robs us. So uh, overattachment to sensations actually robs us, and we call those uh, the energy thieves. And then we have the seven deadly emotions that we were talking about, anger, fear, anxiety, worry, grief, sadness, and loneliness. So all that becomes our psychopathology. Mm -hmm. So if we want to shift our operating system, we have to look at all those things and pick and choose the things we want to work on. Okay. And then I teach you affirmations. Okay. So I've written 12 affirmations. And then so we're going to look at which affirmation is applicable to your situation right now. And then once we uh, do the affirmation, then we can go to sleep on that. And that's what we call dream programming. So from the affirmation to the programming, and then as we wake up, then we, we do a journaling process. And then we can journal uh, our subconscious uh, routine changes. So that's how we do all, that's how
1: we shift all of those things you just asked me. All right, um, and I know you have, we have a course right now that we're working on, Is um, so we're going to give you a special invitation, early offer. All you have to do is join the mailing list so that you can get more information, which I'll put the link in this podcast below. Um, so you put in your mailing list, that way you can stay updated when this new Mindfulness Qigong course comes out to actually help you make that shift. Um, you know, it's definitely not, a mindfulness course, but we're putting it in that term to for you to understand that it, it, it's the um, it's it's the beginning of being more in tune with yourself. Mm-hmm. So you know if you're trying to start that process, this next course that we have coming along and Doctor Love is going to tell you more about is probably a great way to start with understanding how your energy flows throughout your body. So tell us a little bit more about Doctor Love. Tell us a little more about So
2: that.
1: You're,
0: you can go 40 days without food. You can go 14 days without water, but you can only go four minutes without air. So the single most important thing you can do is breathe. Now, what makes you breathe is actually your diaphragm. So when you breathe out, the diaphragm pushes up against the bottom of the lungs, squeezing the air out. But it also pushes up against the stomach, the pancreas, the spleen, the liver, and the gallbladder. And when you breathe in, the diaphragm drops down, pushing against the small and large intestines. So the diaphragm moves the air in and out, which moves the blood in and out, which then the blood pumps the heart. So the Chinese say the qi moves the blood and the blood pumps the heart. Now, how you get sick is what we call accumulation. So overeating, over-drinking the wrong things, uh, not enough exercise, not enough sleep, Uh, too much activity, too much mental activity, too much sitting creates accumulation. Accumulation becomes stagnation, stagnation becomes inflammation, and inflammation becomes disease. Again, you have this downward spiral, this process of creating disease. So when we talk about mindfulness and Qigong leading us to mindfulness, we look at all the processes that create accumulation and stagnation. And then we learn to reverse those processes so they never become inflammation, which means they never become disease. And that is the true prevention. Hmm. Prevention is the only cure. So this Qigong course is really about prevention, but it all starts with your emotional state. So the limbic system is the center, is the emotional center of your brain. So the limbic system is your five senses, your six senses, excuse me, your six senses, plus the pineal, the pituitary, the hypothalamus, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. So all that is the limbic system. And the linchpin is the, Hypothalamus, which communicates with the central nervous system. And the hippocampus communicates with the neocortex, where your critical thinking skills. So the hypothalamus is the critical thing, and the hypothalamus is the connection between the nervous system and the endocrine system and the limbic system wow and that's the drop dead center of the brain and the only way we can affect that is through qigong so i went through a whole long explanation <laughs> to teach you that qigong is the only thing that can prevent disease create emotional balance and create awareness connection and elevation Hmm. wow thank you mind body spirit connection is beautiful thank you ed for giving me that opportunity to make that explanation
1: no that was great um it's a lot of people are listening probably didn't even know a lot of the organs that they have within themselves so i think qigong is beneficial just in just knowing what what your body has like just just one part of the course that would teach you all your organs the one dance is itself worth a thousand dollars, why? because well, if you don't know where your organs are, then you won't even be able to self diagnose or prevent or be like, Oh, maybe this drinking is taking too much out of you know here, like my liver, so I need to slow down because my side is hurting, so I think the significance of Qigong um at its most basic state of awareness is already usually. Um, influential without even going so deep into the art and it has so much more benefits so by all means um, be sure to check out Dr. George Xavier Love, Dr. Chi Love on all social media platforms uh, Facebook, Dr. George Dr. Chi Love Dr. Chi Love as well so everything is Dr. Chi Dr. Love Dr. Chi Love on Facebook, Dr. Dr. Chi, Chi Love, Love on Twitter Dr. Chi Love on Instagram. Mm-hmm. All right. So, any special things you have going on, Dr. George Love? Well, um, I'm I've scaled back
0: uh, to once every two months. I have qigong retreats every two months. The next qigong retreat is June 8th and 9th. Uh, people keep asking me for a book. And I keep saying the book is only applicable once you've taken the course. Right. You're not going to understand the book unless you take the course first. And so we're
1: going to have the course you online. you got to take the course, then you get the book. Is the you course going to be online you for get this dance. next one? Say that again? The course. You're going to have it online. You can virtually attend the course for the next one. Uh... April
0: 15th, I believe, is when the online course starts. Yes, it is April 15th. So there's um, there's two ways to join online. Okay. Um, you've got to go to um, lovechinesemedicine.com or bluedragonchigoacademy.com or uh, thaiyogausa.com. And then once you uh, register... Uh then we'll communicate with you. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll put you on the email list. Keep So you, you can updated. join online live and then you can join online and just watch the pre recorded videos.
1: Okay. So there's a pr- there's a live and then there's a post option that you can purchase the seminar, uh I mean the retreat for your use in the future, right? Right. And all that will be sent to you. Just make sure you join. It's a a monthly subscription. Okay. It's going to be okay. So just make sure you join the newsletter down in the link below so you can receive more information about Dr. Love. This is actually not the only time that we're going to have Dr. George Xavier Love here on the show because there's a lot more to offer, a lot more conversation to have. So we'll be bringing you a lot more content. And a lot more health information. And the best place to get all our information is actually by following Dr. George Xavier Love and also by following the Ed Talks Personal Growth and Motivation podcast on all of the various platforms. So we have uh, this show on every platform. So there's no excuse to not listen to it. You got an anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We even have this on uh androids so it's everywhere that podcast is available dr love is on all the platforms that content is available so tune in to both make use of this information for preventive health care self-care health promotion not sick care uh and thank you so much Dr. George Ariel love for being on the show if you have a final message please let the audience know what they should do right now to take action on everything we talked about. We talked about a lot about um, how your childhood affects your present state of uh, emotional stability or instability and how to communicate to uh, fix that instability uh, and stabilize your relationships. So any final messages, Dr. Love? Um, Go to YouTube.com. Put in Dr. Love
0: Qigong, that's Q-I-G-O-N-G, and put lymph swing, L-Y-M-P-H, lymph swing. And then you can also go on YouTube and look up Dr. Love, this is why I do Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G. Okay. And look at those two videos. That'll take you to my channel, uh, Mystic Master 49, subscribe to my uh, Qigong channel,
1: and we'll go from there. All right. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to the Ed Talks Personal Growth and Motivational Podcast. My name is Edouard Gilles, and I'm your host here every week bringing you some holistic content, not just about the mind, the body, the spirit, but also the gut, the nutrition. Have you heard the term that? Uh, let thy food be thy medicine. Well, on this show, we bring to you all types of practitioners from holistic doctors to health coaches to help you make those small shifts that would dramatically change your life. And I hope to bring you a lot more amazing guests from now on, weekly, consistently, even soon to be daily on this podcast. But you will never be able to experience all of this if you don't subscribe. So click the subscribe button. And also, I'm on all social media at CEO Ambitionist. Click the follow button and you'll be always, you'll stay updated on all the new things that I have going on. If that was not enough for you today, I want to remind you that you have the unlimited power in you to achieve whatever it is that you want. But first believe that you can do that and then things will start happening. So thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day once again you're tuning into the our radio station at FAU peace I want to remind you that you have unlimited power within you to achieve whatever it is that you want and to construct the person you want to be but first you must believe it in order to achieve it and until that happens the world will forever miss your talents your gifts and all the great things that you have to offer So let your light shine, don't hide it, don't dim it. Thank you. Find Ed Talks Daily on your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave your thoughts in the form of review. Until next time, remain in your unlimited power.